And for the online community, good day, good evening, whatever time you actually are tuning in and participating with us, it's just nice to all be together. I know you've heard that a bunch this morning, but that's going to be a common sentiment here this morning because it's a little different today, isn't it? Hasn't happened in a little bit. And so that's a super meaningful thing. It's so good to see you. And for those of you that don't get to see your faces, it is no less good simply to be with you. We are proud and happy to be a church all together here this morning. Uh, so today, as we continue forward in this passage, does our world not need a little more genuine love right now? Honestly, though, I mean, just, just think about it for just a moment. Like, if, if a church can contribute anything right now, it would be to be an expression of genuine love. And I don't know about you, but if you ponder the months ahead, I don't see that diminishing. Like, I see that need increasing, and I see there being all kinds of opportunity here. And so, friends, as we go to journey through some of this, verse by verse, moment by moment, that's the point. Like, this isn't just about let's unpack a verse and hopefully we learn a new thing and we walk away and that's great or whatever this is. This is us being the church going, man, using our voice, using our leadership, using our presence, there's an opportunity in front of all of us to be that powerful expression that is the church of Christ, right? Like, not the denomination, like the church centered to Jesus Christ. All of us together here uh, in a powerful way. And so may love be genuine. And I want to talk a little bit more about what that looks like as we look at verse 10 of Romans chapter 12. Uh, here today. You know, by the time I have finished college, I, I studied, I majored in Bible and theology, and I didn't know anything when I first went to school, and so my whole goal was just like, I want to learn as much as I possibly can, and I want to know what everybody thinks. I want to know what the original language is saying. I want to figure all this out so that I can know for sure what, you know, the right thing is, like every person who's ever attended a Bible school at any point in time ever does. Like, that's what I wanted to do, and I was going to know everything, right? Like, nobody would ever understood things before. And that's what I wanted. And, and what you do when you walk through that is you start writing papers and you start writing positional papers in theology and you start writing Bible expositions in defense of a passage and all this stuff that I know a lot of you are like, really? That sounds so boring. Um, but that's what I did because I wanted to know and I wanted to figure that piece out and I was excited about that. And so what it trained me though is by the time that I got out, I thought that the best way that you loved other people was to argue with them so that they would see what the truth really is so that they would come to know I really did. And I also thought that like, because you study these moments and you see this, that whatever that moral position that you now hold is, that you're, it's your responsibility to tell other people those things. And it's your responsibility to make sure that everything lines up so that the Bible is followed, so that God's will is done as you perceive it. We should acknowledge there are 25,000 different denominations in the United States of America which means there are 25,000 different moments where we perceive some things differently. And so we should also acknowledge that that's complicated, isn't it? But that's what I thought. So I, would, I got out of school and I was like, I want to bleed and I want to do things and I'm going to help set things right. I know that's arrogant, but that's actually what I thought. And so I'd have these kind of conversations with people and I'd recognize, wait, they think differently and I'm going to argue with them and I'm going to unpack this and see, and half people haven't been to Bible school. And so you start pulling out language and stuff and people's eyes roll to the back of their head. And in the end, they get exhausted from just arguing with you and they're like, okay, all right, like, I don't know what to do. Or they just walk out, but I'm loving them. That's what love is, right? I mean, that's what I told myself, if I'm really honest. It's, I mean, it is. I was trying. It wasn't me even trying to be fake or insincere. I was just like, but this is what is. So I'm doing that. And I also felt like I was like the moral police a little bit. Even when I came to work here at Casas as the youth minister, you know, there'd become moments as a youth pastor, I'd find out that maybe somebody who's a, a volunteer or something like that or small group leader or whatever had been struggling with something or something would have happened or some kind of moral moment in their life. And, and I'd look at that and be like, oh, I need to set that straight. That's the mentality that I'd have, you know, because I, I, I and, and the reason why is because I need to be an expression of love and I need to love them, so I need to tell them. 
So I'd sit down and people would end up in my office and I'd try to have this conversation where it's like, I know this is happening and this isn't right. And so this needs to change. And I'm only saying this because I love you. Every parent's memorized that line at some point in time, right? I don't know that we're always accurate when we use it. That's what I'd say. And I have this conversation. And yet there are all these moments that are now seared into my brain. Because I've had lots of them, if I'm really honest with you. Where I'd be sitting there having this conversation that I geared up. Because this is what it means to love somebody. And I'd have the moment and I'd have the conversation. And it would end with them looking at me saying, I know that I've been struggling. I know that maybe I messed up or I know that this isn't okay. But I have never felt, these are quotes, friends. I have never felt more unloved and more judged in my life. And oftentimes that person would get up and walk out of my office. And that was usually the last time that I ever saw them again. And I'd shrink back in my chair and I'd think to myself, but I did the right thing because that's what it means to love them, right? But I was torn up inside because the reality is, is more often than not in some of those moments, it didn't feel like I loved anybody, if I'm really honest with you. It felt like I did the right thing and it felt like I did what I'd been taught to do and what I was told to do and I engaged in the thing that I was supposed to do but something inside of me was just awry with that and I found myself going, I don't know how to do this. I need to do this differently. You know when you experience tension in your life on something and you're like, this isn't working. It's not honest. Something's like there's discord in here. Eventually, what do we do? We go, let's try something different, right? I'm gonna try something different, why? Because I don't know how to love people, but I wanna figure this out so that it's genuine and real. And so that which I know within me is that which is flowing out of me. I want that, so what do I do? So I, like we always do when we change, was like a pendulum on a clock, right? Not to the middle, but just way over here. And I swung way to the other side. And what happened to me at that point in time is I was like, I'm going to take a totally different approach here. I'm going to be gentle. And I am going to be a person who is non-judgmental. And I, people don't need to know what I think. People don't need me to be the moral police. I still kind of believe that most of the time, half, you know, on a lot of different ways. But the truth was, in that moment, I was like, so I'm just not going to say anything most of the time at all, unless I see some kind of horrible harm coming out of this to somebody else. You know what? God's God will let everybody do their thing. And who am I to interfere, interfere with that process? right? And so I just kind of stepped back. I was like, it's cool. Because this is what it means to love people, right? So I tried that and I went to a class. I was in grad school at one point in time and I had this moment where we were sitting in class and uh, we're doing a group project. There was a clear goal and a clear objective place that was written up on the board in front of us as we as a group all kind of flurried, you know, a bunch of work and energy to try to accomplish this thing so that we could get a good grade and succeed. And as we're working on that particular project, I began to notice that the direction our group began to veer off and didn't meet any of the criteria that was actually up there on that board. And I saw it. And I immediately had this tension in me where I was like, don't be that guy. I did. I immediately had this tension in me that was like, don't be that, don't be the guy in your office that's like blasting people with a bullhorn. Can you not right now? This isn't church. This is school. You're, you're like just a student. Like, don't be that guy and love people the way that you would, the way that you are now, like do that thing. And so I, I just pause my group very gently and I go, Hey guys, have you noticed like what the thing on the board actually says? And do you guys, do you guys think that we're on track with that? Like this is me checking in. Do you think we're on track with that? Or do you think maybe... Like, we, we need to adapt a little bit. And everybody lifts their head from the frenzy of their work, and they look at the board, and they see the goals, and they go, no, I think we're good. And then they just go right back to work. <laughs> and I said, okay. Well, if that's what we all collectively think as a group, and I'm a part of this group as your teammate, like, all right, I'm good. 
And they said, okay. And I said, oh man. And so we completed our assignment. The night ends, we give our presentation and our professor gives everybody a low grade with one exception. She fails me. I was so mad. And I waited after class because it seemed so unfair. It was a group assignment. Like, why was I the only one that was failed in that moment? And I walked up to her after the class and I said, I don't understand why my grade was lower than everybody else's. She said, Ryan, I was observing how you guys were interacting as a group. And while your group worked on this, you actually saw and recognized that your group was off target. You actually saw and recognized that this was not accomplishing what it was supposed to accomplish. She goes, and I saw you gently ask a question. But then when your group elected to run off a cliff, you just went and ran right alongside with them and ran off it with them. And I said, but you don't understand. I'm not like the leader of that group. I'm, they're not, it's, I'm not responsible for this group. I'm just a teammate. And so I'm just trying to care about my teammates and, and just be you know, a loving, caring person in this. Like this is what my value was. And so when the group elected to do that, that's what I did. And she looked at me and said something to me that to this day I stuck with me and, and become a very powerful statement in my life. And she said, Ryan, I find it interesting that your definition of genuine love and care is to see people running off a cliff and to elect to run off it right alongside them. And she was right. But it didn't solve anything for me because now I don't know what to do. Do you feel this? Like I did the other thing. I commandeered the vehicle before and now I'm, I don't know what to do. And for me in my life, there's been so many of these moments where I just don't understand what genuine love means, right? Because I've got somebody in one ear telling me it is speaking the truth in love and you've got to be assertive and you've got to tell people and the gospel's an offense and if everybody hates you, that's because they hate God and you're loving them. And I'm like, I don't know about that. But I've also got people in my other being like, but it's no, like, and just nothing, and don't say anything, don't ever do it, and I don't know what to do, because more often than not, in both of those situations, what ended up getting expressed, the guy with the bullhorn wasn't received as loving, and the person who ran off the cliff with everybody else wasn't perceived as loving. My teammates weren't happy that they got a low grade, and they knew I knew the whole time. I, I didn't, like, I didn't know what to do. This has been something that I have struggled with over time. Are you? Do you know what this is like? Have you felt these tensions inside of you? And this is just one example. There's a whole host of ways where we look and we go, is that what genuine love really is? Is this what it means? I share this with you today because the truth is, in both of those scenarios, I've gotten a little more honest with myself over time. In both of those scenarios, I was far more concerned with protecting myself than I was about caring about the person in front of me. And the first one, I was protecting my own morals, my own beliefs, my own values, and I was blasting them out on other people without regard for who was actually there. Because they needed to know, and this needed to happen, and that's how it was. And in the second scenario, the same kind of thing existed in reverse, where I was more concerned about being seen as somebody who didn't care, being seen as somebody who wasn't team, being seen as somebody who wasn't loving, that I did nothing at all and just ran off a cliff along with everybody else because I wasn't worried about them. This wasn't about actually sincerely loving them. This was about me protecting me and what I held dear. I have struggled with genuine love in my life, friends, because I keep trying to do the right thing and messing it up. And I think Paul gets at some of this. I think when he writes Romans chapter 12, he knows that this is going to be a struggle for us. I think he knows that religion is bound to get love wrong at some point because we turn the genuine expression of the thing and the honest care for one another into rules about what pleases God and what pleases us at some point in time. And even though we try to land in the right place, when our heart gets it wrong, it never gets experienced that way. And it gets really, really complicated, doesn't it? And so today, friends, 
I just want to recognize we are in a season. I say as Americans, I, I, I'd say globally, but that I'm not sure how it is absolutely everywhere. I know for us right here and right now, even in this community, where it's really easy for genuine love to get lost along the way right now. We are in a season of time where it's really easy to turn a person into a position and to another argument and not see the beautiful thing that they actually are. We are in a season, friends, where it is really easy to see what you are losing around you or what you are frustrated by around you and become utterly defensive, where you are protecting yourself from other people to the degree that we can't love them. It is really easy right here and right now to get fatigued based off all of the uncertainty and the complexity that so many of us face and just get so worn out by that that the voice of love quietly just begins to lower and lower and the expression of it begins to fade into the background. And I have to ask you this question, two questions here this morning. And the first is this, what if right here and right now, real love is getting really lost? And because I asked that question, it's why I care so much about this second question, and it's this. And what if the church is supposed to point the way forward? And I don't mean the church as a building that some of us have arrived at in person today. I mean the church as us, as people, the true and honest expression that is the church. What if the church is actually supposed to point the way forward in love? What if it's core to who we really are? And if not we, then who? That's the premise of this whole thing that I'm talking about here today. That's the premise of this message as we begin to look through this in verse 10. I want to empower us to that. We need you. We need one another to be a profound expression of beautiful love to the people around us, that people might go, wait, that's the real deal. That's the genuine article. I can trust that. It wants good things for me, friends. We need that. We need one another. And so can we all rise to that occasion? Can we lead the way? As we journey through this verse this morning, I want to offer three challenges to each and every one of us here. Three challenges that I just want to blatantly put in front of us to say, please step into this. Not just to be a better person. I don't really think I'm after that here this morning, but because it is a needed expression in our lives, in our friends' lives, in our families' lives, and in the world around us. And you powerfully get to carry it. That's in you. God so loves you already. You don't have to contend or compete for it. You hold it. What will we do with it? So let's get into the, the verse here this morning. Romans 9, chapter 10, it is a, or chapter 12, verse 10, uh, says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Seems like a really simple, straightforward verse. I want to read it again. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This brings me to the first challenge here this morning. Love in a way, I'm challenging you to love in a way that reminds people what real love is. Love in a way that reminds people what real love is. Look at how Paul starts that verse. Love one another. He's recalling what he just said in the verse before, but he uses a different word this time. He uses the word phileo, which is the word for brotherly love. But in verse 9, he did something really specific. And so we're going to miss part of what's happening in verse 10 if I don't go back and unpack a moment in verse 9. So let's, let's do that for just a second here. In verse 9, when Paul says, let love be genuine, right? Which is like the bold text. If you're writing a paper, that's the thesis statement. All the other verses are actually about that statement. So when he says, let love be genuine, and starts rolling through the rest of the chapter, what he's saying there really, really matters. Miss it, you miss everything else. Let love be genuine. He uses the word agape when he says love there. 
This is the first time in the entire book of Romans in, in one of the unique moments for Paul when he actually takes the word agape and he uses it about human beings loving one another. See, this was a really common word. I don't think we always know this. If you grew up in the church, then you've heard the word agape and you're like, yeah, that's what love is and that's how this works. What you have to understand is that that word wasn't popular in Greek usage until the end of the second century and the beginning of the third century. Paul writes this in 50 AD. When he uses the word agape, this was an obscure word, a not, like, a not commonly known word, a word pulled out of the recesses of some place because he recognizes, I believe this, I believe he recognizes that love has a lot of different forms that it can be used in the Greek. If you wanted to express that you were romantically loving somebody, you would use the word eros. If you wanted to express the kind of love you had for a family member or a friend or a brother, sister, you would use the word phileo. If you wanted to talk about the kind of love that came through empathy, a moment of empathy when you find yourself going like, oh, I get it, and I care. Storge. But when you wanted to talk about genuine love, it's like the early Christians knew that the depth of what God, of the way God loves us and the profound nature of what Christ offers us, it needs new vocabulary because we're going to put it in an old box, right? We're going to put it in a container that's too small, that shrinks up a little too much. And it's so they grab a hold of this really obscure word, this small word, and they infuse it with meaning. And I wonder if it was so that when people heard this, they find themselves going, wait, what? Describe it for me. Tell me about it. I want to understand it so that they could unpack it to its breadth and its depth and its full potential so that people would know what this love was. And this word agape came to be understood as this is the unconditional love of God. This is the kind of love that pours out from a God who is perfect and needs nothing from us so he can freely love us unconditionally, ongoing, all like just in this powerful, beautiful way and thereby chooses us and loves us through it. And this is a key moment where Paul looks and he goes, that love, that love that's made its way to you, that love that's transformed to you, that love that you so resonate with, that it like strikes a tuning fork in your own heart and it makes the universe make sense, that love, that's the way I want you to love everyone else. That's the thing I want you to take and extend it beyond you. That's the genuine article, the real thing. That's what he challenges us to in verse nine there. And he says, let love be genuine. But that's complicated because he used a brand new word. Can you imagine in the first century? What would their question be? But what does that mean? And so what I love that he does here is he starts by pointing us not to here's what to do and here's how to do it, but let it be this genuine thing. Let it be something really real. And so he shows them this. Let love be genuine. Let it be actual agape. Let it be deeper than the thing that we commonly accept it for. I had a moment with my daughter a few years ago. She was four years old, my youngest. She's a talker. If you have one of those people in your house that when they're gone, you're like, why is everything so quiet and weird? That's my daughter, right, my youngest. And she's, when she was four years old, she went through this phase where she liked or loved everything and she wanted to tell you like she was just making a list all day long, every day. So she'd walk up and go, Dad, I love my chair. I love my cup. I love this food. I love macaroni and cheese. Dad, I love my pillow. I love, and at first I'd be like, that's awesome. My kid's just super happy all the time. Like, this is great. I love it. Three weeks into that though, you start to be like, no, you don't. 
actually love everything. And then for me, because I was a parent who didn't understand like child development at all, found myself going, I need to set my four-year-old straight about what the depth of love really is. And let's have a sit down philosophical conversation to do this. And so I did. I sat down with her and I'm like, so when you say that you love everything, love comes to mean absolutely nothing to a four-year-old who just sits there and her eyes roll the back of her head and she's like, can I go? Can we be done? This is awful, you know? And I go through this whole long spiel where I'm using every piece of vocabulary and every piece of argument and persuasion thing that I have to talk to my four-year-old. And it gets to the end. She goes, no, I don't think so. I love this and I love that. And that was the end of that moment. I recognize I'm def I've lost this. Like this is not, this was a failed endeavor from the get-go. I, I don't know why I did this in the first place. And so in just like a conceding type of moment where I was just like, look, I'm sorry that I did this. I look at her and go, look, just know this. For me, there's a lot of things in this world that I really, really like. But love is something really special to me. Love is the kind of thing that I want to show other people when they know I don't need anything from them. And it's not about what they do for me. I just want them to know how amazing they are. And it's not even about whether it's fun or good. Or bad. I, I just I want them to know because I care. And then all of a sudden, my daughter, for the first time, gets quiet, and she has this puzzled look on her face, and then she goes, oh, like the way you love mommy and me and Felicity, which is her sister's name. And then she rolls her eyes, like hard, dramatic eye roll. I mean, she goes, I know, I know, nothing we could ever do would make you love us any less. And I just sat there going like, don't touch it, right? <laughs> she got it. I looked at her and I said, Yes. Like that. Friends, sometimes in our lives, right, sometimes here, love is going to get a little lost around us. And when it does, we can all have arguments and discussions and all kinds of things about here's what it means and here's what it should look like and here's what's been lost and here's what needs to happen. But I think if people are going to understand, especially here and now, what real agape love really looks like, it will be because we love them in a way that really reminded them of what it is. Not a semantic conversation with a four-year-old, but in the end where she goes like that, and you go like that. Like that. Let that be what our lives are about here in this season. Friends, I want you to think for just a moment, who is there in your life? And just as a step, start with someone you really care about already, that you know there's genuine love there for. Start with someone there. Who is there in your real life that needs a reminder of what real love looks like? Right now. Right here and right now in this season of life. What could you do this week to be a genuine expression of that love to them? I mean, that's a big deal. If we all did that, that'd go a long ways, wouldn't it? Who's that person? What's the thing you could do even this week to be a genuine expression of that love to them that it might remind them of the real thing that they might be encouraged to give it away to, that the church might grow and be vibrant and beautiful? And that brings me to the second thing here. And it's this. Here's a second challenge for this morning, and it's this. Love someone like you're connected to them. Love someone like you are connected to them. Now, that might sound a little weird, right? I'm not actually saying, like, go tie yourself up to somebody. That's not going to be felt like love. That'll get real weird real fast. But there's something here, and I want to unpack it for a moment. Let the, let's go back to the passage and recap this, right? So Paul so wants us to be an expression of love that he uses a brand new word that most people would be very unfamiliar with. And he starts filling it with meaning. I want you to see the depth of this. I want you to understand it. I want you to come to know it. 
right? This is what it looks like. Spends the rest of the chapter starting to detail this out. And so knowing that we'd probably look and go, well, what does that look like or what does that mean? Instead of starting with some crazy action of like, go out and do this crazy thing, he actually says, he starts with a place of deep familiarity for each and every person, something they would have already known. And he says, love one another, what? With brotherly affection. He uses the word Philadelphia there, Greek word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. That's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. It's a Greek word. And I think Paul does this to remind us about a powerful kind of love that we already know. So instead of us just getting philosophical and trying to argue about something, he's like, center in on that beautiful thing. You already know how to do this. You already know what it looks like. You know where it is. I mean, think about the way you love your family. And if that's really complicated for you or you have a different you know, story, it's hard to even say that you love family. Think about the way you love your closest friend. Right, but somebody near and dear to you. I want you to think about that for just a moment. You see, we don't love our family because our family is easy to love, right? Some of you are nodding your head so hard you're going to hurt your neck, right? Like that's, we don't love our family simply because our family is always easy to love. We love our family because there's something deep there that connects us together. We love our family because we grew up and together, we, we formed our, ourselves together in our lives. We love our family because there's a deep bond that comes from some of these experiences. And we love our family because in some weird way, we know that these are our people, like it, good or bad, wrong or right, even when we struggle to talk with them sometimes, there is still, they're still the people we go back to. They're still the people we show up for. Or maybe for you, it's a really close friend. See, genuine close friendships are the same. They become forward forged over time and suddenly these feelings and emotions and experiences all begin to stack where there's this stuff that just connects you. They're the people who can hurt you really bad and make you so frustrated, but they're also the people you'll show up for in a moment's notice because you love them. It's deeper than our circumstances and it's deeper than our complexities, isn't it? That love comes from a deep place of connection. This is actually the kind of love that Paul's referring to here. It's as though he says, I want you to genuinely love one another. And we go, but what does that mean? He doesn't say, go be nice to people. No, just clean up your act on social media and be a little kinder. No, like, just make sure that, like, you're, you know, doing a thing of encouragement this week. He doesn't start with any of that, does he? What does he say? He goes, no, that thing that you already know, that genuine love, the real deal, the thing that's already there, start there, resonate there. Let that be the first thing that starts to fill in this new definition. Love them that way. I have a sister. She is four and a half years younger than me. And I love her to death. But I, I drive her crazy sometimes. I know that. In fact, it's like one of my top three talents and I've honed it over the years. You know, I, it really is. And I know that she sometimes drives me a little bit crazy too. There's a lot of ways that we are similar because we grew up in the same house. We were shaped by a lot of the same moments and things and stuff. You know, all of that. Genetics even. But there's also so many ways where we're just so utterly different as human beings. And so there's been these moments where like I drive her nuts and there's these moments where she probably drives me nuts, where I know that that's true. There's been seasons of time where there have been tensions between us. There's been seasons of time where there's been hurt, frustration. There's been moments where we haven't talked as much as maybe we would have liked to. And there are a lot of things that even right now we probably come to see differently on or don't always see eye to eye on but I love her. She's one of my favorite people in the entire world. Like just thinking of who she is makes me as a brother just joyous. I love her. There's a connection there. 
right? Despite whatever differences exist between us, despite whatever struggles there might be, like I am for her. And if she's having a really hard time and needs it and calls me, I'll, I'll be there. I'm connected. There's a bond there. There's something like this. And so I want you to imagine right now that Paul is like standing here next to me somehow. Like he just suddenly is standing here. And I want you to imagine that I take that struggle I talked about at the beginning going like, I don't know how to genuinely love somebody. I try this way and it's not right. And I try this way and it doesn't resonate as real. And I'm not quite sure. And I want you to imagine that right now Paul's standing next to me. And I believe that if he were standing here and I look at he'd say, Ryan, Yes, like what I wrote, just do that. Genuinely love people. And I'd look and I'd go, Paul, I don't know how to, die. I mean, I've tried. I was the guy with like a bullhorn or I was the guy who ran off the cliff with people and no one felt loved. And I, I don't always know how to genuinely love people. I get confused on this sometimes. What, what's it look like? What's it mean? What do I do here? And I wonder if he'd look at me and he'd go, right, and you know the way that you love your sister? I'd say, Yeah. You know the way that even though you guys have walked through complexity and different things, there's still connection. You're still for her. And say, yeah. You know the way that you love your closest friends. You know the way that you love your family. You know the way there's that deep bond and that thing that pulls you and unites you guys together in this. The way that love is. I'd say, yes. And I wonder if he'd look at me and just say, yeah, do that. Do that for others. That's what I'm actually getting at. See, friends, what if when you see your neighbor, what if they're really your sister? And don't make that biological and weird. You know what I'm talking about. What if when you see your neighbor, what if they're really your sister? What if when you see your enemy, you're really looking at your brother? What if when you see the person that you can't identify with at all because they're just so utterly different than you and seem so strange in the way they think and operate and all that stuff, what if you're really looking at your friend? What if we loved people with brotherly love and brotherly affection as the church leading the way in what genuine love looks like? And I get it, maybe some of us are sitting here going, but they aren't my neighbor. I mean, but they aren't my sister. But they aren't my brother. But they aren't my family. And they certainly aren't my best friend. And that's the truth of it. That's the cold, hard facts. I'd look and i go, I know. I get that. You know, there's a moment with Jesus. He's standing in a really crowded room and a bunch of people of all walks and lifestyles and places and people have all gathered around to listen to him and to hear what he's doing. His family shows up at the house at that point in time and it's his mother and his brothers and they say, can you go get Jesus? We're here. Tell him his mother and brothers are here to get him. And they go inside and Jesus looks at the messenger who's like, man, why you got to make this so complicated all the time? And he says, actually, looking at the rest of the room all around him and all the people who've gathered here, he goes, these are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. Friends, they may not be your biological person. They may not be your actual best friends. But that doesn't mean you don't have the choice to see them that way anyhow. See, that's up to you. That's up to me. But I gotta ask, what would happen if we did? What would these next couple of months look like if we did? What would this next season of life look like if more people around us simply took that up and said, despite the complexity, I choose it. 
I choose love. I choose genuine love. And you're going to get it wrong, me too. And yet, what a great starting place. I trust that a lot, actually. And that brings me to the last and final thing, and it's this. The final challenge for the morning. Lead the way in respecting others. The church should lead the way. So I'm asking you, lead the way in respecting others. Look at the last part of this verse. Outdo one another in showing honor. Translators have a really hard time with this part of the verse. Here's the way that, so I read the ESV, right? Which is English Standard Version. Outdo one another in showing honor. Here is uh, the NIV. Honor one another above yourselves. King James Version. In honor, preferring one another. Uh, The NASB. Give preference to one another. In honor. This word that they're struggling with that's being translated is either outdo or give preference. Is this word that is about showing somebody something, but it carries this idea of leading somewhere. It's the same type of word that's not, that's not just trying to like be like, I'm better than you, right? So where the ESV says outdo one another, it's not actually saying get real competitive here and make sure that you're way better showing honor than everybody else. It, that misses the point too, but it also misses the point to just be a mild suggestion of like, so just, you know, show everybody honor, people. It's not that either. What's being captured here is that we have this ability, this opportunity to take that love, that brotherly love that we root ourselves in and then lead the way in what it means to treat others with honor and respect and love and dignity. Contained within that word honor is the words value and respect. All of that. And what he's saying is, so lead the way. A literal translation of this would read, show the way to one another in respect and value. So love one another in such a way that you show other people what real love and real respect looks like. Not so that you can be esteemed, but so that it can grow. Ask me what voice the church, what voice we as believers should be having in our current culture, in our lives, in our friendships, in our families at this point. It would be one's of honor and respect, where we hold the love and value of other people in a significant way, and we live that out as a way to remind people this is the genuine article. This is what real love really looks like. You know, like the stories I told you at the beginning of this message. I look back on the different moments in my life where I tried to genuinely love somebody in early. I mean, I tried to do the right thing and ended up doing what I thought was right without genuine love being a part of it. I look back at the pendulum swing that I've been on in my life at different times where I tried this way and I tried that way and all the time just trying to do what's right. And I wonder, I wonder if I could go back or if I could move forward knowing what genuine love is, if I just started from a place of, you know what, regardless of all the voices and things around me, I'm going to treat this person as a human being with love, dignity, and respect. Not about what I need to protect myself from them, but about the beautiful things that I want for them and that I care genuinely about them. And what if I just let that sit in the chair? That have the conversation. You know, there's times where I'd probably have a difficult conversation because a hard conversation might have needed to be had. But it would have been guided by genuine love in a different way. And there would have been times where I might find myself quiet, simply recognizing that the best way to love this person is to be a shoulder to lean on and a person to walk alongside for that particular moment in that particular season. I'm not sure. I don't know what the right thing is. What I know is that if I center myself here, 
seeing people this way and choosing to express it around me, that I'm starting from the right place and I can trust God to move and shape me for the rest. It's a beautiful thing, friends. What would happen if we took that up as a church, as individuals, as people, and we simply walked that forward in this complicated and interesting season of life that we find ourselves in? I think it'd be beautiful. And I think that beautiful thing is already in you. It just needs to find a way to make its way outside. Let's pray. God, we come before you today. And we thank you that you love us. We thank you that we don't have to contend or compete or vie for it, Lord. It's there. I pray for those in the room that don't know that, for those in the room that felt like that voice has gone silent for them in months, for those that don't know what it is to resonate in that love. I pray that blessing over them this morning, God, and I ask you for that, that they would see it, that they would know it, that they would feel it, that it'd be powerful in their lives, Lord, because we want to be a powerful expression of love to the world around us. And so, Father, please help us to be genuine. Not to be the right kind of people to do the right kinds of things, but to simply genuinely take love and see where it leads us. Because we're going to trust you for that, Lord. Lead us, guide us, make it known, bless others. May we be a powerful reminder of what love looks like. We love you, Lord. Thank you that we get to gather together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.